0: Turn up the radio and sing along It's time for another great song This is the Great Song Podcast Seasons greetings and welcome to another episode of the Great Song Podcast I'm Rob Alley I am J.P. Mosier And we're here breaking down the greatest songs of modern music history We're going to tell you why they're great Why we think they're great And why we think you should too It ain't great until we say it's great And let me tell you something The song we got today is great. It's really great. It is great. Today we're talking about one of our favorite collective artists, and that would be Bruce Hornsby, piano genius, savant, accordion master, uh, accordion master, storytelling uh, legend. What else can you say about him? I don't Huge know. Huge
1: basketball fan.
0: Big basketball fan. Uh, very funny guy and Grammy winner. Uh the uh the song that we're talking about today is his his signature song that
1: By request.
0: By request, we're doing Bruce Hornsby's signature song that if you know one song by Bruce Hornsby, this is the one you know. And it is called
1: The Way It Is. The
0: Way It Is. Let's take a listen. More socially conscious already. How about you?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> uh, so this is a huge hit in the 1980s. Uh, still getting airplay today. Has been sampled and covered by many people. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Um, but uh, this song is essentially uh, about the lingering um, aspects of racism in in our society and and the way that it affects people, kind of in an everyday um, you know everyday life. Uh, Bruce Hornsby. Originally from Virginia, and um, but he's he's said in interviews that his parents were sort of very socially aware and socially conscious, and they even though the area around him and maybe the the you know uh, surrounding community was not as maybe socially up to speed with regards to race relations, um, that his parents instilled in him a high regard for uh, for people of other races and uh, and importance to. Speak out about it. So this is his sort of uh, uh, salvo into that and a a way to say, hey, everybody, maybe like be cool, like, (laughs) you know, um, maybe just treat a person like a person. And I don't know. This uh, was released in August 1986 as the second single from the debut album of Bruce Hornsby and The Range, uh, the album called The Way It Is. Uh, This was the second single. A song called Every Little Kiss was the first and was is still a hit. He, I mean, he gets some, you know, he gets claps when he plays it live. But uh, this is the one that everybody sits back and waits on. Um, there are there are two uh, sort of iterations of Bruce Hornsby um, band wise. There are probably at least three sort of phases of Bruce Hornsby's career. Probably more like five. Um, <laughs> three notable on recordings. Yeah, I mean, he's he is a when I say the guy's literally genius level, I mean, musician, he really is a a master of what he does. And, um, this song is very, I mean, it was a, it was a, a pop music song. That's all you could classify it as, but it is jazz infused. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a rarity. I mean, how often do you hear a piano solo on the radio? You know, especially on a pop song, this was actually, um, listed as a rock. This hit number one on the billboard rock tracks, chart as well as US adult contemporary and the Billboard Hot 100 uh where it got knocked off the top spot by you want to take a guess wild guess
1: 7 rock
0: 1986 number 1 oh, by a a female group oh man any guesses
1: female group in the 80s
0: yep all
1: female uh, Wilson Phillips hold on
0: oh good guess that's I'm, a good guess I'm, right I'm, on i think they maybe a little later Ah, uh, this would have been the Bangles.
1: Heart? Oh, bangles. The bangles! Walk like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. Oh, knocked man. this
0: song off the Billboard Hot 100 uh, top spot. Um, but yeah, there's been several phases of Bruce Hornsby as a musician. There was his first few albums with the Range, which were very much in the pop genre, pop sort of uh, <clears throat> you know niche. Um, they infused with jazz and sort of different um, stylings, but still, you listen to it and go, "That's a pop record." Um, and then after the range, he did some solo, solo stuff and started branching more into jazz. And you'd get, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about Pat Metheny doing guest spots and, uh, people like, um, uh, Wynton Marsalis, uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, Branford Marsalis, Brantford I believe. Marsalis. Um, and, um, uh, come on the banjo guy, Bela Fleck. Bela Fleck, there you go. You know, all sorts of people and, and getting kind of. Out there, it, deeper into a, you know, more of a jazz thing, weird Maybe time like signatures. does play on his
1: last Range album, though, on Not on a Town.
0: Oh, he, does he? Yeah. He yeah, plays that's the banjo, part, the on, banjo uh, part on Fire on a Cross? Yeah. Fire, yeah. Um, so, and then there's a, then there's, he goes back to having a backing band, uh, introduces the Noisemakers, and that's, it's been Bruce Hornsby and the Noisemakers since, with a couple forays into bluegrass, uh, with side projects with uh, himself and Ricky Skaggs. Which are pretty amazing if you haven't had a chance to check those out very uh rewarding, and a lot of fun um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh the, his his bands and and the differences in the in the two settings uh in just a minute, but let's get into the song just a little bit um so we're talking about um you know race relations and and the effect that I mean basically we're talking about the effect of not looking at people as equal. I mean, you know, it's about seeing people of color and, and assuming that they are less than and, and sort of systemically keeping them at a disadvantage, uh, whether because it's, you know, that the, what it comes around to on this song is people just go, well, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's literally the, the hook of the song people around. Well, it's, you know, it's the way it's always been, man. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and, uh, and then he ends each course with you know but don't you believe him like that's it it doesn't have to be the way it is just because it is the way things are doesn't mean that it should be that way or it has to remain that way it just takes good people standing up and and you know doing what you should do doing what is right Um, and saying, you know, we have to do something about this.
1: And there's actually, it's not just, it's heavily racially regarded with the second verse and the third verse being about the Civil Rights Act of 64. But the first verse, I actually interpret as more rich versus poor. Mm. So it's not all race. I would think it just all different times of, like I would say rich versus poor in verse verse one, racial segregation in verse two, and then Civil Rights Act of 64 in verse three.
0: Good point. There's no, there's actually not any, any uh, hints into race in the in the first verse at all? I hadn't really thought about it.
1: And actually, the the chorus, which is the title track of the album, and it doesn't fall till late in the song. You don't hear the chorus part till it's true. Far into the song, it's a couple of minutes into the song before you even hear the hook. Yeah, and course other than the piano hook, but the the vocal hook.
0: Yeah, that's true. And this song has a it's it's kind of a. It's something you don't hear on pop radio very often. It's got a piano intro, you know, uh, and it's... It takes I mean, a while to
1: get into yeah, the body of the song.
0: exactly. It's got sort of a... When I say piano intro, lots of songs you hear on the piano... On the radio, I have a piano intro, but it has a... But the intro is not connected to the rest of the song. It's like a prelude. It's not... He's not playing the chord progression. I mean, he's playing the chord progression, but it's in a very introductory way it's out of time yeah uh you know it's just um, um improvised
1: and there's two sections of piano solos in the song yeah do you have a favorite piano solo section Ooh. because there's different they're, comp- they're I'm pretty different
0: i'm partial i'm partial to the one that i can actually play sure. <laughs> the one that i can keep up with <clears throat> uh, i've always enjoyed anytime i feel like i can play anything that bruce hornsby plays it makes me feel good um, but no, I, I just love them both. Uh, my goodness. And then if, um, if you're a fan of live music that is different from the recorded version, I don't think you can be made happier than, uh, going to see a Bruce Hornsby show. One thing that he and his, uh, bands, particularly after, uh, after he parted ways with the range, um, it, they're noted for never really playing a, way, a song the same way twice, even though some of the st- the structure is kind of the same. But there's a lot of improvisation, very free form as far as there's lots of room for members of the band to do something. And it'll catch on and other members of the band will follow and they'll just take it somewhere off into left field, um, you know, merging songs with other songs. Or he'll take a, you know, a verse from a bluegrass tune and put it at the beginning of one of their big hits.
1: As a sampling of as an example, one of the times that I've seen Bruce, I've seen Bruce multiple times, a couple of times with you, Rob, and a couple of times without he played three blind mice in the middle of this. <laughs> in the middle so, of in this in the middle of this song. So nice. he was like, Y'all didn't expect that, did you? And he was <laughs> vocally about the fact that he threw f- three blind mice in the middle of this song. <laughs> so
0: I uh the first time I saw him, we, we saw him together in Atlanta. Yeah. And um he Angie Opara With Angie Opara opening, um and, um, he, uh, there was, there was a song, he was doing a song called, um, talk of the town and, uh, also about an interracial relationship. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he's doing a song and there's a big, uh, a big roar of feedback from his microphone at one point. And so rather than get mad and yell at the sound engineer or the monitor guy, he just starts making the feedback sound himself <laughs> and incorporating it into the lyrics of the song and replacing words with So like he's supposed to be singing uh, cousins and uncles are having fits predictors of doom think this is it and he starts going cousins and uncles are having predictors of doom think this is and he just took it in stride and it just became like part of the song um I always I, I'm a big fan of being able to like be in the moment with a song and just let it go where it goes and, and see what happens. Sometimes it's going to be amazing and sometimes it's going to be, eh, you know, but, uh, it's always different. So if you, and he's, I've heard him say this, he actually said this when he came to Chattanooga, uh, where I live. Um, he said, you know, <clears throat> if you come to one of our shows, uh, ready to hear them the way you heard them on the album, you're going to be really disappointed. You're going to you're going to hate the next uh, 90 minutes, two hours because uh, you will know, hardly hear anything exactly like it was done on the recording. Um, do you think if you had a, if you had a hit song that, you know, 30 years down the road, you're still going to be playing a would you play it the same way you recorded it? And B, would you get tired of playing it for the audience night after night, knowing that if, if you don't play the song, they're going to go home disappointed.
1: I would I would probably save the hit and pocket the hit because I'm a people pleaser in some regards. So I would want them to leave satisfied. Um, but then again I think about the time that we talked about before where we saw Clapton and he didn't do Layla. Yeah. And it was still a great show. Yeah. So uh but I, I don't know. I would probably save the pocket hit for the for the encore or at least for and I would do it the original recording. Do it like you I would throw something different in, like a solo section, but ninety percent of the song would be where they could sing along and fist pump with me yeah. <laughs> the whole the whole time. Yeah. How about uh, you?
0: I yeah, I probably would too. I like I like to think that I, you know, would do something wildly creative. And I might after a while, but I would probably end up doing it, like you said, probably about ninety percent the same if it's a thing that like G- go out and left field with all, all the other songs but the one that people are expecting to hear the one that like a casual fan came to the show to hear because they know that one song I would probably just do it like they know it so that they can go away going oh man he did that that's song that's the guy that did that one he did my song yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and let them just not know any better about the other stuff uh, okay so um, let's talk a little bit about the song itself yeah. uh, musically <clears throat> excuse me there's a little musical interlude Da-da-da-da-da. And that's the verse progression. And then the uh, chorus progression is a pretty familiar progression. It's a one flat seven four. We're in the key of G. Uh, and so it's like a G, F major, C. And it's got the little doo-doo-doo, 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 over the top, which has become sort of one of the signature, you know, iconic um, riffs from the song. But it's got both of these two piano riffs on it, and they're both. You know, well-known, you can play them anywhere and people know, you know, just about, um, what they are. Uh, the, um, I have a funny story about the chorus progression. I was, uh, in church one time and playing for like, um, you know, altar call while people are praying at the end and I'm just playing lightly and I think I'm going to sneak one in here. Uh, and so I just start playing that progression and, but no other words, there's no groove. You know, I'm just playing these chords. They could be chords to anything, boom. Bun, bun, da, da, da. And my drummer looks over at me and goes, Are you playing Sweet Home Alabama? Oh, no. oh, and I go, No, my first, my first instinct is to go, No, I'm not playing Sweet Home Alabama, and then I realize, Oh, I am playing the chord progression from Sweet Home it's Alabama just, D, just in a different key. It, it, <laughs> Sweet yeah, that
1: was DCG, but, but he, same he heard the
0: home, intervals. Man. And I was like, oh, man, now I do have to stop. I can't. If if he thinks I'm playing Sweet Home Alabama in church. So
1: does Jed in so the congregation. Does,
0: exactly. There's a guy out there in overalls in the back going, finally, about time.
1: Right. Give me some Jesus. Man.
0: <laughs> Dipping his, you know, um, spitting his dip into a can in the back of the pew. Uh, he's like, finally, I, church service I can enjoy. <laughs> I'm just offended every Southerner. Um Okay. Um you know what? Why don't we uh why don't we take a second and and meet the band here on this track? What do you say? Let's meet them. Hey,
1: let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're gonna meet the band. Uh this is Bruce Hornsby and the Range. Uh we will talk about different his other band and other uh such uh such things later.
0: Is that a reference to, like, Home on the Range? Oh, I don't know. You think? I mean, he's from, like, Virginia, you know, Shenandoah Valley. Do these
1: guys on this album cover look like Home on the Range? They, I,
0: John Molo looks like a detective.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's good.
0: Um, I don't know.
1: George Marinelli looks like, uh, like Teen Wolf. <laughs> a little bit like that. Have you seen the other album cover of this? This is not the original album cover. Uh, we no. are looking at the more popular sepia-toned album cover with them standing on the front. All five members of Bruce Hornsby and the Range. The original album cover is more like airbrushed and painted, um, completely different vibe. It's real kind of artsy looking, um, but they elected to go for the for the Bruce Hornsby and the Range cover on the front. Um, so let's ju- let's j- jump in and talk about The Range. Um, they were a backing band uh, for Willie Nelson. Did you know that? No kidding. I had yeah, no idea. They, uh, they had never met Willie prior to going into the studio. Um, Bruce was the only one that had ever had any kind of interaction with him, and Willie Nelson was looking for a band to back him. So they were a backing band in studio for Willie Nelson. Wow! Yeah, and then they.
0: uh, So I wonder if that's how they got the name The Range. That seems to make more more sense. sense. That's
1: right, because they're backing Willie Nelson. Wow! There you go. We we just drew that connection here as we're chatting. Um, But uh, on guitar, Bruce Hornsby, vocals, piano, synth, Hammer Dulcimer, accordion. That's uh, that's Bruce, who we'll talk more about later. On guitar, David Mansfield. He plays guitar, mandolin, and violin. Um, he plays the mandolin part on Mandolin Rain, another hit off this album. Great song. His first band was Quacky Duck and His Barnyard Friends. Of course. Um, with two sons of Tony Bennett. He was in a band with Tony Bennett's two sons.
0: Called Quacky Duck Quacky and His Barnyard Duck Duck Friends.
1: and His Barnyard Friends. I think I that comes know, on Disney Channel. I don't know who Quacky Duck is. I guess maybe Mansfield was. I have not heard that. Um, the other guitar player, guy I really like, George Marinelli. Huge fan of George Marinelli. He now plays with Bonnie Raitt um i always like the way when he'd play a, sometimes we play solo he'd keep a cigarette in the headstock of his guitar be in the middle of a solo pull out the cigarette smoke it and put it back in the headstock <laughs> of his guitar i thought that's a that's super cool um he plays primarily a 62 strat as his workhorse um but now when he tours he only plays a 300 mexican strat Everywhere he goes on stage, he plays a cheap guitar because of travel, and he's like, I get just the same sound. He plays it through an AC-30, um, and he's not a new string guy. Like He doesn't change his guitar strings hardly ever. He he says the only reason he will change strings is if he breaks a string, which doesn't happen often with the way he plays. He plays predominantly elixirs, and he's going to have old strings on his guitar, old elixir strings on a $300 Mexican Strat. That's, maybe that's crazy. Why I like that guy. You know
0: what though? I, like it, just looking at him. It, it makes sense. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like maybe he's, he's not dirty. a big maintenance guy. Yeah, you know he's, what I I'm feel saying?
1: Like, does he shower before <clears throat> he plays with Bonnie Raitt, or does he just kind of be like, I'm going to go white T-shirt tonight? Yeah, you know? Let's just exactly. See, see where we go. Wow. Um. Some brief h- history on George Marinelli. Other than that, I'm a gear nut, so I dug a little bit on that. But he's played on every Dixie Chicks album. No kidding. Yeah, here's kind of where he went. Because he kind of fell off the map after the Bruce Horns being the range and then did some stuff with Bonnie Raitt, but he does a lot of studio work. So there was a phase in the early early 90s where he played on all the Petra albums when Bob okay. Hartman started, stopped playing.
0: Petra has a lot of weird connections.
1: Petra's got some weird connections. So he played on Petra Praise, God Fixation, Double Take, and he did some for him stuff. Okay. Um. And he actually met Bruce through Joe Puerta, who's the bass player. Yeah. Who we will now talk about. Uh, Joe Puerta is the bass player, founder of the band Ambrosia. Love Ambrosia. You you know Ambrosia? I don't know. You probably know. There's. Do you know uh how much I feel? How much I feel feel for you. What? No. Another eighties hit. That one. Biggest part of me. You're the biggest part of me. Nope. You, take a wish, baby and what no two huge hits Ambrosia for those of y'all that don't know Ambrosia look them up it's him and David Paxman play a little play one of those I don't care (laughs) pick one
0: Like, you go, oh, that was a band? I just had no idea. I've never asked who sang that song, and I guess I've never paid attention if I've heard a DJ talk about it.
1: Glad I could so reintroduce yeah. you guys Thank to you. Ambrosia. Joe the, Puerta. Joe Puerta, bringing it down. Go, Joe. Laying Wait down a, the base. Mad and,
0: respect for anybody who can be in two successful bands. At
1: the same era? Around the same? Yeah, era, within, close, within six. Two years of each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, uh, also on the uh, member of the range, John Molo. Yeah. Um, he My put, boy. Yeah, John Molo. So, He's one, one of my favorite favorites. drummers. Love him. He, uh, he played with Bruce all the way through Spirit Trail in 98. Um, so even after The Range did not become The Range, he still had John Molo with him. Yeah. With drums were down. they
0: acquainted through college? I think, weren't they like... Maybe. That
1: makes I think sense. they, I they think were like sounds right. buds
0: from back in the day. So they like had a kind of an even deeper relationship, I, I like think. me some loyalty. That's good yeah.
1: stuff. Um, well, The Range only has three studio albums. Uh, the Way It Is, which is this one that we're talking about, Scenes from the South Side, which is my favorite and probably the least popular and of nobody all Nobody else's albums. Man, I love Scenes from the Southside and Not on the Town, which also has a really good DVD accompanied yeah. with it. Yeah. Oh it's yeah. Really good. Bale Flex on there who we talked about and so Jerry, Garcia's Jerry Garcia is on there. Jerry Garcia plays guitar on there mm-hmm. on Barren Ground, I think. It's yep. yeah, it's really good.
0: Bruce served as a, a as an official member of the Grateful Dead for several years and still plays with them, uh, you know, from time to time, but he uh, but actually between the uh, Bruce Hornsby in the Range and Bruce Hornsby Solo Records era, he, he spent his time touring with the dead. Yeah. So, and still Sean has, Colvin's
1: on that album too?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh, yep. A lot of, lot of crossover fans now between Bruce Hornsby and Grateful Dead because of that uh, era. He's got a lot of, uh, still does a lot of Grateful Dead songs at his show. I say a lot. He, he usually does one or two Grateful Dead shows, uh, Grateful Dead songs probably at every show and uh, gets big big crowd response from all the deadheads in the audience.
1: Um, any other things you got about the? He won the Grammy, and we can I guess. Well, that was Meet the Band. Let's get yes. off of.
0: I mean that. What you have just listened to? That's the, Meet the that's Band.
1: Meet the Range Band. We'll talk about the Noisemakers um, on some other some other podcast. Yes, absolutely. Song. I'll save all the Noisemakers info that I've got
0: focused on the Range for today. He did uh, win the Grammy. Bruce Hornsby in the Range won the Grammy for Best New Artist. Uh, In 1980, I guess it would have been 1987.
1: Seven for the 86 album. Yes. Do you know who he beat out? uh, I I don't. I do. I have the three artists that he beat out. Ooh, hit me. Okay, Glass Tiger. Not okay.
0: a clue. Oh, yeah. No, that was on Punch-Out, right? Oh, Mike Tyson's yeah. Punch-Out. That's Glass uh, Joe. Oh, oh And okay. uh, Great
1: Tiger. A great Tiger. Oh, man. Can you name the characters <laughs> from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out?
0: Uh, yes. I don't know if I can do them Please in order. It. Okay. But there was, okay, Glass Joe. Glass Joe. Uh, 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 great Tiger. Uh, great Tiger was Piston, third. Piston Honda. Piston Honda was fourth. Uh, Von Kaiser.
1: Von Kaiser.
0: Bald Bull.
1: Bald Bull. You're killing it. Uh,
0: Soda Popinski. Soda
1: Popinski.
0: Uh... King Who Hippo. Oh, yeah, oh, oh. yeah, yeah. King Hippo, uh, Don Flamenco. Don
1: Flamenco. Yeah. Yes. Is that it? That's a, uh, and a uh, Sandman. And
0: either Sandman or Mike Tyson, That's depending right. on which version you were able to get a hold of. Yeah. yeah. That was, Did I love. Did we forget
1: anybody? It's, that that sounds, sounds right. Yeah.
0: I'm, I don't feel like we're missing anybody. Macho
1: Man. Probably somebody way man. racist.
0: Right. Macho Man? Was there a Macho Man? I feel like there was a version where, uh, where yeah, Macho Man was replaced. He was the the last bad guy. Like yeah. he was the Mike Tyson replacement. Um yeah. yeah, that was fun. That, that was, was fun. a great game. Still great love game. It. Great I loved game. it on regular Nintendo. I loved it on Super Nintendo. I bought it for the Wii when you could buy like old games for the Wii. I've had that three different versions of that game. If
1: you've never played, go out and play Mike Tyson's Punch Out.
0: Shout game. out to Mike Tyson.
1: Okay, so Glass Tiger, uh, they beat them. Uh, Simply Red yeah, and New Shoes. N U S H O O Z. Oh, yeah. Apparently,
0: Who can forget New Shoes? Just barely
1: edged out New Shoes.
0: New Shoes. What yeah. was this, what's the Simply Red big hit? Do you know?
1: Uh, if you don't know me by now and holding back the years. Oh, yeah
0: yeah, 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 yeah. If you. Don't if you don't know me by now. Boom, boom. You if you like the groove of Gravity by John Mayer, oh, yeah, you're gonna so love. It. If you don't know me by Sippy now, Red. By sorry, Sippy you finished Red.
1: second to Bruce and the Grammy Artist. Sorry about your bad luck. Not too
0: bad. Um, so, okay, I, Rolling Stone. This is the most random list, but Rolling Stone compiled a list of the 21 strangest best new artist Grammy wins. Okay, Bruce Hornsby in the range is is given number eight. On the list of 21 strangest best new artist Grammy wins, what's the one by Rolling Stone?
1: One? You have you know Here's
0: it? I'm going to read you the entire article. It's a paragraph long. Uh, and Hang it, with us, It'll be good and stuff. it says like I this: This it. is this is what Rolling Stone said about Bruce Hornsby and the Range winning best new artist in 1987. Socially conscious piano solos with the drum mix in the red. Talk about 1980s Grammy bait. Bruce Hornsby could have disemboweled Billy Crystal on stage wearing a home taping rules t-shirt and still won this trophy. Nobody is 100% sure what The Range did besides have deep backstage conversations with Hornsby about the Civil Rights Act. Who'd win in a 1980s golf rock fight, The Range or The News? Discuss. Hornsby later joined the Grateful Dead as a keyboardist, which is like volunteering for a combat mission. Respect. Respect.
1: Dude, I'm so glad you touched on Huey, and the, Huey Lewis and the News in that, like, because that, that's really good. It is. And you know Huey Lewis plays on this album.
0: Yeah, well, they've got several. Uh, they were, Okay, Bruce Hornsby wrote Jacob's, Jacob's Ladder, yeah. which was a hit for Huey <laughs> yeah. Lewis and the News. Good call. Um, Anyway, that's a funny, I don't know, a funny article. He could have disemboweled Billy Crystal on stage wearing a home taping rules T-shirt. This was in the era of like where you could first, VCRs are being introduced. And like that was a big thing. It was the original like piracy issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you could tape these movies off HBO at home. What's, you know, how are you going to, whatever. Um,
1: that's cool that you touched on that too, because I saw in an interview that this is off topic, but kind of on topic. They asked Bruce about some of his favorite movies. And he picked American Psycho. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's got Christian Bell in it. But there's heavy reference to Huey Lewis in the news. And at that oh, time, really? Hip to Be Square was out. But Jacob's Ladder was also on that album, and they sold a ton of that album because of that movie. Interesting. And Bruce wrote Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. So he gets royalties, wow. and so he attributes a lot of his success to that movie. That's so funny. That's kind of neat.
0: I've seen it. I've seen a parody, uh, a parody clip of from American Psycho, where the Christian Bale character is being played by Huey Lewis. Oh, yeah. So having not seen the Patrick movie, Bateman. now that makes more sense.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, they talk a lot about the sports album and other things on there. Huh. A, yeah, you need to watch it. It's But don't watch it with small children.
0: Okay, so here's the, yeah, uh, here's the rest of that, uh, the not the rest, but here's seven through one on that okay, list of list. strangest best new artist Grammy wins. Uh, number seven, Men at Work. Uh, Australian group. Do yeah. you come from the London on the right? And who and can it be now? Who can it be? They actually had several good Great hits. Saxophone. Um, what's the other one? The one uh, uh Overkill.
1: Yeah, I can't get Wait. to sleep. I love Great that Great song. song. Have you heard the Benjamin Gate version of that
0: song? No, it's good. Look it up sometime. Weird. Okay, there's an amazing song. Uh, that song kind of has like a hokey '80s groove, I get, but uh, but there's a version that they opened. I think it was the second season of the TV show Scrubs. It was either the second or third season opens with um, the lead singer of minute work doing a solo acoustic version of of the song overkill by minute work check it out it is on the scrubs like soundtrack it's available for streaming or whatever um, it is really good and actually gives the song a whole other vibe that is very very nice anyway minute work number seven number six strangest best new artist Grammy win. Christopher Cross.
1: Oh, we love Christopher Cross. I love Christopher You're Cross. You're a big Christopher Cross fan. I'm a Cross huge
0: fan. Christopher Cross fan. I, like I, I kind of like one song, and I kind of can you know do with the rest. I like the song from the Arthur movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Arthur's yeah, theme. Yeah, Arthur. Oh, yes, it? thank you. What I was like, it what's it called? Uh, number five. Uh, lots of these were in the mid-'70s. I don't know what, what was going on here. but uh, Number five, A Taste of Honey, 1978. Uh, number four, Debbie Boone, 1977. No
1: relation to Pat Boone.
0: I uh, I feel like there should be, should be. maybe Boone? sister, I don't da- definitely Daniel Boone. There's definitely uh yeah. Uh Boone docks. I think. Um anyway. Uh number 3, the Starland Vocal Band, 1976, Afternoon Delight.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank uh, you anchorman for making me know that song. <laughs>
0: exactly. Only reason I would totally ever know that song. Uh number 2, 1974, Marvin Hamlish, uh, who was primarily a composer.
1: Okay.
0: Um but uh, apparently, this caught fire in 1974. He did a rendition of the Scott Joplin song, The Entertainer, <laughs> which uh, was used in the movie The Sting with Robert Redford and uh, um, Paul Newman. Paul Newman, yeah. And apparently, it was just gangbusters, and everybody was like, we got to, this Marvin Hamlish kid's going places. Uh, but anyway, and the number, number one, one uh, roll. according to Rolling Stone, strangest best new artist Grammy win, Jose Feliciano. Oh! 1968, Felice, Navidad. Felice that Navidad. Oh, yes. Uh, in 1968, he beat out Jimi Hendrix what? For, for best new artist. <laughs> Holy cow! And uh, Jimi Hendrix never got a Grammy nomination in his lifetime. Really? Never. Uh, got beat out by Jose Feliciano. Oh, man, he so, hates Christmas. <laughs> I mean, that's like. What do you think is a bigger? What do you think is a bigger travesty? Hendrix getting beat out by Jose Feliciano for best new artist. Okay. Or Metallica getting beat for Best uh, Heavy Metal Album by Jethro Tull.
1: Oh, gosh. Ugh. I mean. That's a wash. <laughs> those are,
0: those yeah. are both pretty egregious. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so anyway, that's the uh, strangest Best New Artist Grammy wins. So, neat. so Bruce and the Range win in 1987 uh, for Best New Artist. And now in, in pop culture, do you think most people consider Bruce Hornsby a one-hit wonder?
1: Well, I guess because they don't know that he did End of the Innocence" and some of the other stuff. Yeah, so well, and that's technically not, that's his, not song, his recording. I guess, yes. Yeah, so. Like,
0: people know other songs of his. Um, yeah, I guess
1: so. I can't think of anything else that he Do you has. think
0: Mandolin Rain is a big enough hit that people...
1: Just for people that know him. Maybe people that are in their 40s that... Not current pop music. Like, they wouldn't know him. I don't right. Care. I don't think if that comes on the radio, the majority of the world will know that's Bruce Hornsby.
0: Yeah. And how many people who are like millennials or younger only know the way it is because it became Tupac. A, 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 because it became the basis for changes by Tupac.
1: Yeah, I think that's what set it off to notoriety. You want to talk a little bit about the covers yeah, or samples there, or anything?
0: There are several, several notable covers and samples. The the obviously the most uh the most well known of which is Changes by Tupac. Point let's hear a little, it, so hear it little I bit. it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just
1: the way it is. Oh
0: yeah. So there he is, the late, great Tupac Shakur uh, with Changes. I was not a fan. Uh, I was not a fan. I got nothing against Tupac with regard to music, but uh, I didn't like – I don't like it when people use a song and don't sample the original. I say if you're going to – like, I mean, if you're going to sample a song for hip-hop, use the original. It sounds best. It's what people know. I don't like it when people redo it. Like, ugh. (laughs) I, um, I don't know it just bothered me. And then they changed the lyric to things will never be the same from and from, from, uh, some things will never change. Yes. And I like, whatever, artistically do what you need to. And obviously Bruce is a big fan of Tupac because he, he was getting that money for it. Um, (laughs) other, you got other, uh, covers, samples.
1: I know Mace did a a sample. E40 did a sample of it. There's a couple others. There's all pretty much hip hop.
0: Snoop Dogg has a sample. Um, And I actually, I listened to what was attributed to the sample by Mace. And I'm going to say that whoever said that was wrong. Uh, Did you listen to it? Mm -mm. It's it. I I dug deep and tried to listen to all these because I wanted to hear them. I I hadn't heard about them before. And the one from Mace is not from the way it is. Somebody it's like that thing when like Napster was huge and Uh, file sharing was huge. And people would say every song that was funny was Weird Al. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. They would be, that's would, Mark Lowry. That's not yeah. weird. Al. <laughs> it just some, any like something now that you would see, you know, somebody doing a YouTube, just a funny song on YouTube. They'd be like, Oh, that's weird. Out. Cause it made me laugh, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's something, it would be something like crazy vulgar or whatever. Something that weird. Al would never even do. And uh, people be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a weird Al song. Yeah. Like the one, the bluegrass version of the Snoop Dogg song. You know what I'm talking about? That somebody did the bluegrass version of gin and juice. Okay. I can't think of the actual artist now, but forever it was attributed to Weird Al on like LimeWire and Napster and you know BearShare share and all the whatever the file sharing services were. By the way, don't do that. Yes, that is wrong. <laughs> don't do it. Um <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, uh so but the others definitely verified, confirmed. Um and it was also uh covered. Uh, in total by John Tesh and uh, Chevy Chase did a a verse and chorus of a kind of a parody version on the show community. Really? Yeah. He sang, he sang a verse and chorus uh, of sort of his own version of the song about the, about the, um, about the the community college in the show community. Standing in the bookstore line, waiting for the bell to chime. So you can go to class sitting in your underwear, taking air conditioner repair, so you can get a job. Greendale's the way it goes. Some things are still. So, you know, and we've covered it. You and I have covered it. I mean, if you want to talk about famous, well-known covers.
1: Biscuits and Groovy does the best cover you'll ever hear. Yeah.
0: Hey, if you need a wedding band. Biscuits
1: and Groovy is for hire.
0: Just reach out to Biscuits and Groovy. Yeah, Uh,
1: Yeah. other uh, notable. This one did win a Grammy for Best New Artist in 87 with this album. Do you know the other two Grammys that he won? Did you look that up? No. He won a Grammy in 90 for Best bluegrass Album and in 94 for the Best Pop instrumental performance.
0: Okay. 94. So that would have been for the Harbor Lights uh, yep. album, I imagine. The Bluegrass album, I remember him being involved with a Bluegrass uh album in the meantime and I, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't was like that
1: can't me, when was can't no, me no, 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 newer, that was a much lot, later, yeah. That's a lot newer. And this
0: was before he had done any bluegrass stuff himself. He sort of associated himself on a bluegrass album. I think it was maybe a compilation or maybe. a But now he's
1: with Ricky Skaggs. Something like that. so that's his bluegrass. Now stuff. he kills
0: with with Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder and uh and man, those guys, they've got a couple of great albums. Really funny bluegrass version of Super Freak by Rick James. Yeah. On the uh, first uh, Hornsby Skaggs collaboration album, um, but really reinvented some of his hit songs on those bluegrass records with just different keys, different keys, different uh, tempos, different melodies. Everything about him totally different. Yeah, Mand- we, Mandolin Rain is literally a different song.
1: We heard him do Every Little Kiss with Ricky Skaggs in a, on a hammer. He played on Hammer Delsmer, yeah, completely different key, and it was just yeah, it was different. But it was good.
0: All right, what else you got on this on this song or on this album? Well, I
1: know you're typically the gear nut on this too, So, I, but I looked up some, some history on the pianos that he uses. Um, for those of y'all that know Hornsby now, he uses exclusively Steinway. That's his piano of choice, and he uses a Korg M1 synth on top. So that's his... He'll play a Steinway on the bottom, and then he'll have his synth on top. But when he was with the range and on his earlier projects, he only used Baldwin... He used Baldwin until 95, and that's when he got his first Steinway and swapped over exclusively to, to Steinway. But Baldwin up until 95, and the synth he used was an Oberheim OBX synth. Yeah. So there you go. There's a little bit on that. Um it has a
0: very, I mean, it's a cl- kind of a classic analog synth sound, but it, but you kind of always know it's him too. I don't know if it's voicings or if it's just the sound of his synth.
1: Yeah, and then I just got a couple other uh, really interesting just side trail stories. Um, when he signed with Columbia, I don't know if you know, but when you sign with Columbia, you can pick any album that you want from their catalog, like of other artists that you can just, you can. they'll give you these. And the day he signed um, with Columbia in 2003, he got 176 free CDs from them. He took 176 CDs of other artists that they just, he raided their closet. Wow. So he's a which I think speaks to the in-depth of his musical love. Mm -hmm. Like, he likes all different genres. And I tie that in with, I can't think of really anybody with royalties on rock albums, pop albums, jazz albums, instrumental, rap, hip-hop, country, bluegrass. That's true. Like, he's getting royalties on all this stuff. Yeah. Because he's so versatile. And you know,
0: one of his, like, everything from, he's got a straight straight sort of uh, modern jazz album called Camp Meeting. Everything from that... It's a great album. To bluegrass, it is. It's a um, three
1: piece, right? It's a trio. A three
0: piece, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but then one of his most frequent collaborators, he's collaborated several times with Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah. He has he has done the soundtrack for multiple, probably four or five Spike Lee movies, um, and they've just I think they bonded over basketball.
1: Yeah, he's, Bruce is a big basketball fan. And
0: uh, uh, his his son played briefly his son for the son
1: played for at LSU and for the Mavs in 2016 and the best basketball story I've got on Bruce, did you know that he mentored Allen Iverson? What? Yeah, when Iverson got out of jail in high school, he mentored him and is vocal about the fact that he beat Iverson one-on-one in a pickup game. <laughs> <laughs> so take that AI. Wow, Bruce had a leg up on you when you were I don't know sixteen or whatever.
0: That's yeah. funny. He's yeah. tall. He's like he's six tall. four. Yeah, he's tall. Um, that's that's hilarious. Ah. Bruce Hornsby mentored Alan Allen Iverson, Iverson wow. in
1: basketball, and he's he's vocal about that.
0: But anyway, yeah, he's done a lot, a lot of stuff with Spike Lee. Um, and he he has he has said that he has been shocked at the degree to which this song the way it is has resonated in the african american community even so long later uh you know it's um it continues to resonate because it it resonated to begin with that like you know just the just the Um, the theme of of the song, but then it really resonated uh, because it it began to be used as a basis for other songs and being linked to these other songs in the hip hop community of people uh, in that community who were trying to speak out and, and, you know, echo the thoughts of the song um, with their own art. And so it it continues to be like perpetuated since then. And so still has this um, he has this kind of weird place in uh, hip hop culture because of this song. Um, it got me to thinking about, you know, I was young when this song came out and, um, a couple of other songs in this era sort of were my, my first thoughts into, um, they uh, like a social, uh, consciousness, you know what I mean? Like I I lived a pretty sheltered middle-class life and, and my life has not been rough in any sort of way. Um, And, uh, and so, uh, you know, songs, songs that make you stop and think and realize that there are people who don't live in the same situation as you, uh, and who have, who face difficulties and problems that you don't. Um, and this was one of those songs for me that made me go, I mean, that's, that's still going on. Like, that's a thing. People get treated like that, you know, like why, you know, um, do you have any of those songs? I know like another one for me was. Uh Phil Collins actually had a couple uh uh both sides of the story. Yes. Um, um did story. I steal yours? Oh man, that's
1: yeah. I love Phil Collins. I'm so
0: sorry. So uh, but both sides of the story and Another Day in Paradise, both of those songs made me go uh you know, oh man, you know not everybody I meet has has it the way I have it, you know, and not everybody I meet has it lives with the same degree of like ease that I do even socially, you know, forget like socioeconomics, but just, just socially personal, you know, relationships and stuff like that. Um, that, you know, some people have it hard because of no fault of their own. Um, and so do you think that's a, do you, first of all, do you have any of those songs that you just,
1: I'd have to think on it for many. I don't, I don't have any that jump out off the page at me right now.
0: Do you think, where do you stand on, um, you know, now it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty, everyday business for artists to stand up for social causes you know it hasn't always been that way um but do you think where do you stand on that do you care if an artist that you love speaks out on certain topics whether you agree or disagree or do you say does it matter to you or do you go just make your music and shut up
1: i think a lot of it deals with placement when they do it a lot about timing a lot about the delivery like i think that's it doesn't bother me when they do it if it's within the right context. Mm-hmm. And as long as they're not bashing another side to make their point. Mm-hmm. As long as they're like, here's what I feel, um, and this is how it affects me, I'm I'm okay with that. But I don't like when they say like my way is the only correct side of this mm-hmm. and you're wrong and here's why you're wrong. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I'm always
0: I'm always shocked at the at the number of artists and even corporations now you'll find who are willing to say if you don't agree with me don't listen to my music don't buy my product uh you know what i mean like it like wow
1: i mean i respect the passion on that but i feel like there's a way it can be more inclusive of all parties. yeah
0: no that's what i'm saying like like why would you do that yeah you know what i mean like if you're if you're Pearl Jam and you're, you know, burning George Bush in effigy on stage, or if you're Toby Keith and, <laughs> and you're, you know, telling all the left wing liberals to, you know, stick a boot, you know, where, like why, you know what I'm saying? In a, in an industry, like the, the, I mean, I guess maybe you're just more of a pure artist than I would be in your position, but you know, part of it is like, you're trying to make money. Sure. So like you're, t- you're telling you just
1: cut your, you cut half of your possible clients. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah.
0: You I mean, it's just, I'm always, I, I don't know. I'm just always amazed at the degree to which artists and even corporations now feel free to just sort of say, shove off to, to half of your potential, you know, client base. Weird.
1: It's getting kind of heavy. Let's lighten it up. Hey, man. Let's go back and hear the drum hit to bring in uh, both sides of the story. Oh, yeah. That we talked about on the Phil Collins song. I want to hear that intro. Thank you for that, Rob. That was for me, guys. Yeah, baby. That huge drum and... Thickness was for me. Those I drums are amazing. Um, I got a couple other just random Bruce facts, but you got anything? Um, I just what? one
0: uh, in the the video for uh, the way it is. Um, there, it's just sort of a standard video. There's nothing special about it. They're just kind of sitting around playing. Uh, but Bruce has what appears to be an amazing curly rat tail mullet. Yes, I did not realize it's I,
1: a little shorter on the album cover. Oh well, yeah. So.
0: Well, you don't see it until they show like a side profile of him playing. Yeah. And then I'm like, holy cow, he's got like a permed rat tail <laughs> coming down the back. And it's only in certain shots that you even see it. Do yourself
1: like, a favor and go watch that video. Everyone. Man, dude. Well, I know I'm going to go check it out. Easy, so gonna, Bruce. To check that out. You I know, know it's
0: 1986,
1: <laughs> but. Whew. Apparently when he, uh, when he shakes hands, he more often than not will give you his left index finger. Because to avoid too many firm grips over his hands over the years. Yeah. So for years, he's been known to, if you go to meet him and he doesn't shake your hand, it's not that he's in any way being rude. He's just protecting his hands. Absolutely. Because that's a valued part of his financial stability. I so sure. he'll give you his left index finger, which I thought that was kind of neat. Weird. I, don't know, that's a I weird wonder way. why
0: that one. Weird to shake. I don't know. Huh. Maybe he uses that finger the least. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. I, don't know. I bet his hands are insured. Yeah, you know, probably. I mean, certain people have certain body parts insured because it's vital to their, you know, income Business. in their eyes. I, yeah. I would. I mean, because yeah. he's, listen, you know, you got some guys that like after a while they start to um, sort of coast as far as ability wise. But he continues to like practice and grow. And, you know, he's got a, a solo CD of just mostly strange 20th century classical atonal music that you don't just sit down and play. You know what I mean? He's like still working hard as ever. He practices a lot. Every different style. And when
1: he and shows he talks about how if you want to, you know, get to this level, it takes a lot of practice. He's like, I still practice every day. Yeah. Crazy. Um he's frequently on the cover of Piano Monthly, which was a, a famous album or a famous uh magazine subscription you can subscribe to and I just started looking through some just covers because he's on there a lot and I was just trying to think of some some really my favorite heading on a piano monthly is says learn the harpsichord in seven days and impress the ladies That is a great, yes, that's a great Piano Monthly. So if you oh, have that man. copy of the Bruce Hordsby Piano Monthly that says, learn the harpsichord in seven days and impress the ladies, that has uh, got to be a collector's Oh, honor. man.
0: That's actually a little-known fact about me, but uh, that's how I met my wife. harpsichord I just, solo. I was just, you know, just minding my own business, playing the harpsichord, and uh, all of a sudden, man, she was just like, what's up? And I was like, you know, just get my harpsichord on. <laughs>
1: What other thing, you know, he doesn't really like the production value of this album. He's vocal about that. He thinks it's very, very poorly made. And he's only listened to this version of Every Little Kiss eleven times in the past ten years. He's only Interesting. listened to because he doesn't like it. He's like it it, it hurts my ears and just doesn't huh. it's not, not pleasing.
0: It's a little bit maybe thin, you know. I think mm-hmm. particularly the bass uh you know and maybe the kick like kick drum the low end of this album is a little thin but i always attribute that to albums in the 80s for albums still being made for vinyl at that point and so they just couldn't pump the bass yeah uh, you know like you can on something now sure. once you start getting into the digital age um they're able to put a lot more bass on the, on that stuff because they don't have to worry about uh skips and the and the formats can contain mm-hmm. it um so i always think when i listen to records from like this you know the early cut up some slack early 80s and before yeah just, that
1: and for eight tracks so. yeah Same thing.
0: it's you know whatever so yeah but the and a, a lot of uh you know a lot of albums from that era have been remastered to make them louder and you can you know you can play them in your car mm-hmm. and get the full. yeah you can curve in a little bit more bass and that kind of stuff um but uh yeah you know um i i mean it's never bothered me. I've, I've I never, don't listen
1: to it and say that's that t- the mixing is so Obviously, it didn't
0: bother the Grammy voters. Sure. Yeah. So
1: um, You know, ahead. his brother John wrote every song on the album with him, with the exception of The Way It Is and Every Little Kiss. Really? No, he, I didn't The only that. two he didn't have a hand in. Huh. And those are probably the two that What's
0: What's your favorite track off this album? Oof, do, middle, you, do you yeah, have one?
1: Yeah, I'm going to read the, the back. Just to refer- I like The River Runs Low, Red Plains. Man, I like them all. Wild yeah. Frontier. Let's see here. I'd probably go... Red Plains, that's right. I, that's the one
0: I'm thinking, maybe Red Plains. That's it's got a really weird melody for the chorus. The melody starts, it's it's two two notes, and they're, they're, they're a tritone apart. So if you're in, uh, you know, if you're, it's the flat seven, the it's melody G, starts on the flat I seven. Believe. Okay, it's in the key of G. So then the first note of the, of the melody is on an F, and then down to a B, natural, which is a tritone. Fire, smoke, fill the room and it's like it's a very weird progression got weird chords hope i'll be standing when the day is through there's some just strange dissonant uh chords in there
1: and it's how it wraps up the album so it's a good close yeah it's the last the album
0: Last closer, and then kind of ends with a uh, a sing along like a Hey Jude, na 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 na. Oh, let's send
1: them out with Red Planes. Okay, we'll- hey
0: everybody, this has been the Great Song Podcast. Uh, we've been talking about Bruce Hornsby and the Range, the way it is. But we're going to take you out with the last track from the album, the way it is. Uh, go nice. listen to some music right now because we're going to play it for you. This is the Red Here's Plains. Na na's for you. See you next week.